Welcome to the Connect Church Podcast. Our mission at Connect Church is to help people find and follow Jesus. For more information on who we are and how we're doing just that, visit myconnectchurch.cc. Now, let's jump into this week's message. Uh, Each week, we have began uh, of this series talking about a specific verse, Proverbs 12, 25. And I want to encourage you to to, uh, memorize that verse. Proverbs are, I love Proverbs because they almost seem like it's just like, one-liners, and that's what it is. They're designed to be easy to memorize, easy to remember, but also to cut deeply and apply to our, our, to our lives. So I want to take an opportunity, and I want all of us to speak together in uh, speaking this verse of Scripture, uh, Proverbs 12, 25. We'll all say it together. Anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. Anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down but a good word makes him glad. So week one, we talked about what encouragement was. True encouragement, not shallow, not simple, not uh, attaboys and good jobs, but what true, real encouragement was. How it drove people to a deeper appreciation of who Christ is, whether it was a brother or sister in Christ, or whether it was somebody we just met at the grocery store. We want every word that we say, every action that we take, to drive people to a deeper appreciation of who God is. Week two, we talked about encouragement as overflow, how encouragement should be spirit-led, that uh, as a helper, when Jesus left, he sent the Holy Spirit to come into us and to uh, dwell in us to help dictate our actions and what we thought and how we lived out our faith and how as an overflow of the Holy Spirit within us, we are able to encourage others. It's a selfless Uh, It's a selfless act. It's uh, an intentional act. Encouragement is supposed to be both of those things. And today we're going to be talking about what does encouragement accomplish? What does it accomplish? Now, any encouragement that we give anybody should come from a place of love. Should come from a place of love, relatively simple. Uh, It's a personal, honest, and it's from the heart. Remember week one we said that the heart is the ruling center of a person, where our desires, where our truest selves um, dwell. Like our heart is what motivates us. So true love has to come from the heart and encouragement has to come from a place of love, which comes from the heart. And that may seem uncomfortable to you. You may be thinking like, you're telling me that I'm supposed to love someone with my heart that I meet like just randomly, like not kids, not, you know, spouses or siblings, but I'm supposed to love someone in that way. And you may say, Blake, that's a little bit uncomfortable. And, and you're right, like that is a little bit uncomfortable, and there's a reason for that. There, there's a reason that feels a little bit uncomfortable, but the fact is, as Christ followers, we should never, ever allow fear to dictate our decisions. We should never allow fear to dictate our decisions. When we substitute the goal of God's will for the goal of our own physical comfort, that's idolatry. Remember, the only, the only place we're called to seek uh, comfort from is from the Holy Spirit. And at the root of idolatry, the, the thing that makes idolatry idolatry is fearing the wrong God. So if we fear the God of safety rather than our creator, that's idolatry. We're giving into that. And ultimately, fear is the base motivation for most things that we do. 
for most things that we do. Again, life insurance, retirement funds, seatbelts. We all do those things because we're afraid. You know, cooking meat a certain amount of time. (laughs) We all do those things because we don't want what could possibly happen to happen. We want to be prepared for that. That's motivated by fear. And those things aren't aren't bad. I'm not saying, you know, go ahead and eat that steak raw or, you know what, seatbelts are for cowards. None of that. But fear is the base motivation for most of the things that we do. We're driven by self-preservation. And not only in terms of our physical lives, but oftentimes in our social lives. We don't want to say something that offends someone. We don't want to burn bridges. We want to keep the friends we have. So we make, uh, we make compromises and there are things that we just kind of get over and we don't really, uh, we don't really you know, well, we, we just can't talk about those things. We want the self-preservation of our social life. And sadly, oftentimes it's the same way with our spiritual life. We want to preserve control. We want to preserve what we have in our spiritual lives. We want to give God enough of our spiritual life to get us into heaven, but not enough to actually give him control. Hey, God, I'll, you know what? You know what? You, I'll tell you what. I'll read your word. How about that? I'll pray. I'll go to church. I'll do all of these things, uh, just enough to get me into heaven. But as far as like actually allowing the spirit to guide me to do things, that's a little much. How about we go in 50-50 and just, and just see what happens? But that's not... That's not what we're called to do. If we let fear dictate our decisions, we will never be able to truly encourage other people the way that God's called us to. Because the fact is we can't encourage people from a place of fear. We can only encourage people from a place of love. An honest love, a real love, true encouragement is speaking from a genuine place of love with those words directed at the other person's fear. So the thing that we know because most of our decisions are dictated by fear, most of other people's are too. So true encouragement is speaking from a place of love to that fear in other people. I shared this quote, and I love it so much. It's, it's rang around in my head uh, for probably for, for months now that C.S. Lewis said, uh, Christ followers love you more than other people, but they need you less. They love you more than other people, but they need you less. Christ followers, we don't love other people because of what we can get from them. We don't love other people because they, they give us what we need. We love them because we're called to love them. And when speaking out of love for someone else, we set aside our own fear and we speak to their fear. 2 Timothy 1.7, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but one of power, love, and sound judgment. And again, that spirit is the Holy Spirit. And that word love there in Greek is agape, and it's the highest form of love. It's the love that's reserved for God and for Christ that, he, that they give. It's the highest form of love. And we'll talk a little bit more about that in a moment. So we can't possibly understand this type of love or much less exhibit it apart from the Holy Spirit that's given to us. We can't do that. You may say, man, you may say, well, I know people who love people a lot, but they don't love them with this type of love. This This is much more of an intentional love. And true encouragement can only be given and expressed through the type of love that was given and expressed by Jesus. We're going to talk a little bit more about that. Jesus lived his earthly life as the prime example of an encourager. And we see that. Read the Gospels. You see where Jesus was constantly encouraging people. So why encourage others? What does it, what does it really accomplish? And I mean, again, when we talk encouragement, we're talking true encouragement. Not attaboys, good jobs. Those, there's not necessarily anything inherently wrong with them, but they're not what biblical encouragement was meant to be. 
So first, true encouragement helps us, helps others see their identity in Jesus. Now, part of being seeing our identity in Christ is very comforting to us. It's very, it's, it's very, I mean, it's wonderful to think that my identity is found in Christ. The hard part of that is it's also challenging for us. As Christ followers, when we find our identity in Christ, it means that we have to do things that aren't necessarily what uh, we would naturally do. And it also means that God's going to lead us to do incredible things. And sometimes incredible things can be a little bit terrifying. So here, here's why it helps people. 2 Corinthians 5, 16 through 21 says, From now on, then we do not know anyone from a worldly perspective, even if we have known Christ from a worldly perspective, yet now we no longer know him in this way. So he's, tell, he's talking to people who had seen Jesus. He's talking to people who had, you know, who had experienced Jesus and had actually walked with the physical form of Jesus. And he's saying, listen, we don't see people the way the world sees them. Even if we saw Jesus walking down the street, that's not how we primarily see him. This is why when you hear people say, oh, well, Jesus is a really, really, he was a really, really good teacher. You know, I don't necessarily believe in all that, but he was a really, really good teacher. Listen, obviously Jesus was a great teacher. And if we believe he's the son of God, clearly he was a wonderful teacher. But the most important thing to us is not that Jesus was a good teacher. It's not that we, you know, that he walked on the earth. It's that he is the son of God. That's the most important thing to us. That's the most important part. He continues and says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away and see the new has come. Everything is from God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ since God is making his appeal through us. We plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So we've been given this ministry of reconciliation. We've been given uh, the job of sharing that with others to share who Christ is. And as Christ followers, we are ambassadors for him. And we don't see people the way the world does. We don't look at people the way the world does. We don't judge people based off their skin color, nationality, political affiliation, sexual orientation, their past or their present. It's not about what we see them as or as the world sees them. It's about what God sees them as and who God sees them as and how God loves them and what God wants for them. Our encouragement is not dictated by worldly classifications because we don't see people, again, as the world sees them. When we speak words of true encouragement to others, the people see, those people see God as the loving, caring creator that he is. But here's the thing, we have to speak it. Romans 10, 7, so faith comes from what is heard, and what is heard comes through the message about Christ. So we have to speak it. Now, I, I'm going to go ahead and say that I'm the chief offender of what I'm about to talk about. We convince ourselves that because we live in the United States, and more specifically because we live in the South, well, already, everybody already knows. Everybody knows this. Everybody understands it. <clears throat> well, I want to ask you, I want us to ask ourselves this question, what if they don't? What if they don't? Better yet, and this is, this is probably more accurate, what if what they think they know isn't in fact the loving savior that we follow. 
What if all they've ever seen from those claiming to be God's people is a moral hypocritical and the opposite of what is stated in God's word? What if all they've ever seen is people who call themselves Christians <coughs> but who actually cared more about looking like they had it all to, <coughs> excuse me, that's rough, but who actually cared more about looking like they had it all together rather than sharing what God has and, con- and continues to save them from? What if, and this again, heaven forbid, <clears throat> what if they have only been approached by the Pharisees of the church telling them, hey, you have to look this way, talk this way, sound this way, and act this way before you can ever become a functional member of the church? What if? What if we're on it? What if that's what it is? And here's the thing are we honestly willing to take that chance? Are we okay with that? Are we okay with people thinking that that is the God that we serve? Because if God is as good as who he says he is, and if we claim he is, how could we not let those who are lost know the potential of what they have in Christ, regardless of whether they've heard it or not? How could we not? How could we not speak that into people? Listen, if people, I'm convinced, if people only knew, if they knew what God wants for them, if they only truly knew who God was, No more guilt, no more shame, no more defining their self-worth by temporary, disappointing things of the world. No more anger, hate, frustration, or bitterness. People do not have to be slaves to that anymore. People do not have to accept that anymore. They can be free because their creator loves them. This is why Paul said in Romans 10, 15, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. It is not the feet, it's not the people It's those who bring the good news. Y'all, this is why you need a friend like Michael Proc right here encouraging me on stage right now. Thank you, Michael. Listen, we were lost. We were. If you're a believer, if you're a believer in Christ, we were lost. We were slaves to our sin. But here's the thing. God has given us the key to take off our shackles and be restored to him. Not only that, he let us keep the key and he told us to give the key to everyone else. Listen, everything you're free from, believer, everything you're free from, everything that no longer matters, your past, all of that junk, all of that garbage, you're free from that. Now tell others that they can be free from it too. So even if they've heard it a million times, is it not worth telling people? Listen, I'm not saying that we should shove it down everyone's throat. I'm not saying to, you know, drive down the road and, you know, huck Bibles at people on the sidewalk. That's not it. I'm not saying that, you know, all you've got to do is just berate people. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is that we should pray for the courage to encourage others to accept the freedom that we have accepted. Because if we are a true follower of Jesus, then we know who God is and we know what he's capable of doing for us and what he's done for us. Man, how loving of a Savior, how good of a Savior do we follow that he's willing to do that for us? And here's the thing, true encouragement helps others see that same Savior and see the love of our Savior. Christ followers should at every moment encourage others into a deeper appreciation of who Christ is. Galatians 4, 4 through 7, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, 
crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then God has made you an heir. This word redeem is, uh, Paul was talking to a, to a very specific audience, but we can get the gist of it. This audience would have been used to uh, seeing people, seeing slaves and bond servants uh, sold and, and, and traded and all that. He would have been, his audience would have been used to this. And this is a term that was often used to describe buying a slave. And here's the thing, we were slaves to our sin. We were. You may say, oh, I've got it under control, oh, I'm fine. Uh, no, we're slaves to our sin. We've given ourselves into sin and sin owns us. Except that we were purchased by God through the blood of Christ. This is mercy. This is mercy that God has given us. But here's the thing, God's redemption does not stop there. The next word we need to look at is adoption. The best, the best definition I've ever heard of adoption is this, the taking of one's name and all of the advantages that come with it. See, we not only did God purchase us out of our sin, but he made us heirs. He made us children of God, becoming heirs, and now we receive all the blessings of what that means. Every one of them. This is grace. So not only did God show us mercy by basically saying, hey, listen, I won't hold your sins against you. He showed us grace by saying, you are my children. Think about the story of the prodigal son when he had come back. All he wanted was his father. He said, listen, I just want you to show me, you know, show me mercy. I'll be a servant. I'm not worthy to be a son. I'm not worthy that I'll be a servant. And his father made him a son and restored him. That's what God does for us. God doesn't just forgive our sins. God elevates us. God makes us heirs. You see, Christ didn't just come so that he could die for our sin, but also so that we could be children of God and also to show us how to live, how we were called to live, the lives that we were expected to. He didn't just exhibit love for us. He modeled it for us. And he told us, listen, you're gonna have hardships but that we could lean into him for comfort. Again, the Holy Spirit is also called the comforter, the helper, the counselor. Matthew eleven twenty eight twenty nine. 29. This is one of my favorite passages of scripture. And the older I get, the more it means to me, the more uh, rich it is. Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take up my yoke and learn from me, because I am lowly and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Think about Jesus saying this, knowing for a fact that every person in humanity was an undeserving sinner. He knew that oftentimes we would only depend on him when we had exhausted every other option. We had done everything that we could do. We had done everything that we could do to change our circumstances and what we oftentimes had gotten ourselves into and our last result would be God. He knew that. He knew that. He understood that. But he also knew that our hardship, again, would be caused by ourselves. Most of, again, our sin causes our hardship and oftentimes we sin continuing to try to get ourselves out of those hardships. How beautiful and merciful is our Savior that he would offer us relief from our self-induced shame and guilt. Think about this for a minute. For a minute. Walk with me here. Jesus left the presence of the Father that we threw away, that humanity threw away. 
He would live the life that we were called to live, but actually couldn't. He bore the sin that we had committed. He died the death that we deserved. He experienced the separation from the Father that we should have experienced. And he killed death itself, defeating the very punishment that he experienced for us and that we deserved. And he recognized that despite all of that, despite everything he'd already done, despite all of that, he recognized that we still couldn't live the life that he called us to live. So he promised us the Holy Spirit to help us. How good is God? How good is Jesus living the life that we couldn't? What better thing could be, what better thing could people hear? What better thing could we talk about? Could we express to people? Could we give to people? What better thing to share with others? And finally, true encouragement helps others find and follow Jesus. See, Jesus didn't beg sinners to follow him. You know, we don't see him like dragging the disciples along or, or other people. He don't, we, we don't see that. We see that sinners were desperate to experience Jesus. They were desperate to experience him. In Luke chapter 15, right before the parable of the lost sheep, we read that tax collectors and sinners were approaching him to listen to what he had to say. In Luke chapter 19, we see, we see Zach Hiss, a crooked tax collector, so desperate to see Jesus that he climbed a tree just to see the man he had heard about. In John chapter four, we see where Jesus does, he does initiate the conversation uh, with the woman at the well, with the Samaritan woman. But after he talks to her, she tells everyone in the town what he had done for her. And it says that all the people left the town and made their way to him. Now, was this because Jesus pulled his punches? Was this because Jesus only said really, you know, flowery and nice and, you know, just light things? No. On the contrary, Jesus was very honest and straightforward about the sin that people went through. In fact, he told them that. He knew these things. So what made people come to Jesus? What made people want to experience Christ? What's well, simple. They wanted to experience him because he encouraged them. Every word that Jesus said to people mattered. He didn't speak with shallowness, with empty words. He didn't just, uh, you know, he didn't belittle people. He didn't, you know, cut people down. That wasn't it at all. He didn't try to beat around the bush. He spoke directly to all of their insecurities and then encouraged them by giving them hope. You see, Jesus truly loved people. And because of his words, those people knew that. And Jesus made sure that they knew that. And this love that, that he gave people was a very strange love. It was a different, there, there was a reason that people talked about it. There's a reason Zacchaeus wanted to climb a tree just to see him. There's a reason that a woman you know, would go through the crowd and just say, if I could just touch the edge of his robe, just touch the edge of his garment, I could be healed. Because they knew who Jesus was. They knew his love for them. Right before Jesus was crucified, this is right after we see this beautiful moment of servanthood that Jesus showed his disciples by washing their feet. We see him give the disciples a new command. Now, at this point, he had sent Judas away and Judas was going to, uh, to, to, you know, to betray Christ. So Jesus is talking to the apostles. He's talking to the men who would build his church, who, by what scripture tells us and also history tells us, who would die for the sake of Christ, all but one. These are the men he's talking to, and he gives them this new commandment. He says, love one another, just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. This is that same word, agape, that we talked about earlier. 
this godly love. It's the same type of love that, that Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And we read this often and we hear it and we think, oh, this sounds like a, you know, this, we read it at weddings and it sounds very flowery. And again, it's a beautiful passage of scripture, but it's not just talking about, you know, a, a marriage between two spouses. This is a love that we as followers of Christ are called to exhibit. And I'm gonna paraphrase this, but this godly love is patient kind. It doesn't envy. It's not boastful. It's not arrogant. It's not rude. It doesn't, it's not self-seeking. It's not irritable. It doesn't keep record of wrongs. Godly love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. And Jesus said, by this type of love, they will know you follow me. By this type of love. It's not an always agree with me love. It's not an only if I feel like it love. It's not a, well, only if they really mesh with my personality love. This isn't the case, but rather it's the same love in which Jesus loved. And this love, it doesn't come natural to us. You may say, well, like, I just can't do that. Well, listen, congratulations, we can't. We can't. It doesn't come natural to us. It's not an emotional love that's based on feeling, but rather a courageous, selfless, purposeful, intentional love that we can only give others if the Holy Spirit resides in us. If we've experienced ourselves. So who should we, so give, who it should we give it to? Jesus, makes, Jesus it real, makes it real simple. To give it to anyone who is your brother and sister in Christ or anyone who is in need and a savior. And that about covers everyone. Again, this goes back. We don't identify people by the way the world does. And we don't even identify people by the way that they identify themselves. We see them as Christ sees them, as people in need of a savior, as people who are broken, as people who need something more. They need, they need purpose. They need fulfillment. They need, they need all, joy, all of these things. No wonder people have anxiety, Right? No wonder people feel nervous all the time. No wonder people feel all the time like the world is closing in on them. When we encourage people with a spirit-led love, expressing, them, expressing to them who Christ is and what he's done for us, he gives others hope. It gives them freedom. It gives them purpose. It gives them fulfillment, which is all the same things that Jesus gave other people 2,000 years ago. And the same spirit that resides in us is the one that he promised. It's not you giving that to people. It's not me giving that to people. It's not us saying, hey, I'm gonna give you this. It's us being faithful to the spirit-led love that guides us, to the Holy Spirit who guides us. Shouldn't that be what we wanna offer people? the hope, freedom, purpose, fulfillment that only Christ can give? Shouldn't that be what we want to express? Shouldn't that be what we give to others? Shouldn't that be what defines our actions and our words and our thoughts? Man, how good is the Lord? Listen, encouragement accomplishes so much. Encouragement accomplishes that, that we can speak life into people. Not give people, not because of anything that, that we are, not because of anything that I say, not because of anything that, not because of the family I was born into or my calling or any of that. All I'm called to do is to be faithful to the moments that God gives me. 
Be faithful to the Holy Spirit when he guides me, regardless of whether that situation is uncomfortable, regardless of whether that situation seems normal or whether that situation uh, will further you know, my social standing or not. Forget all that. It doesn't matter. I'm called to be faithful in that moment to what the Spirit calls me to. And he does call us. And if he's not, then that's not God's issue. If it's not, it's not because God has, you know, stopped speaking to us. Not at all. It's not because the Holy Spirit just left on his own. Why are we not being faithful to the Spirit? And you say, Blake, I don't feel the Spirit. Why not? Are you spending time in the Word? Are you praying for God to give you those opportunities? Are you looking up from your own things that you are focused on to the others around you, to the opportunities that God gives us? I've got times in my life where, where I get that way. And, often, and every single time I look and I re- begin to read Scripture and I begin praying about it and I begin to see these areas in my life that are holding me back from being faithful to what the Spirit's guiding me to do. Listen, true encouragement gives life. It gives that fire. It gives, it gives purpose and intentionality that only Christ can give. I want to end this series by giving us all the opportunity to encourage each other. I, I've Listen, God has taught me so much throughout this series and taught me so much just, oh goodness, it's, it's, it's overwhelming. It, it is overwhelming how, how good God is when we just take time to think about it. Man, he's, he blesses us in, in so many ways. He's intentional. He's, again, he gives us the ability, he gives us the keys to release people from, from, the slave, from the slavery that they are caught in in sin. He gives us those keys to give to other people, to, to tell people. All we've got to do is speak it. All we've got to do is encourage them. All we've got to do is speak life into people. That's what God has called us to do. It's not, you, know, you don't have to be eloquent. You say, Blake, I can't get on stage and speak. Congratulations, you don't have to. Like, I can't, I can't go and talk to people by myself. Listen, you're not going alone. You're going with the Spirit of God that resides in you as a Christ follower who equips and empowers us to do more than we could on our own. God has created each of us intentionally and on purpose for a mission. And we can never fully realize that or fulfill it apart from the Holy Spirit. You'll never reach your full potential that God's put in you apart from the Holy Spirit. So what I want you to do is I want you to bow your heads and I want you to think about the people who are next to you. Maybe that's a spouse. Maybe that's a, a brother or a sister or a, um, you know, a child or, or something like that. It doesn't matter. Maybe it's someone you don't know or you've never met. Honestly, it might be someone you don't even like that much. We're about to sing, and I want you to do two things. Number one, I want you to sing not only as a reminder to yourself of who God is, but I want you to sing to remind those sitting next to you of who he is, of, the, of everything that he releases us from, of all of that. Man, how good is the Lord? I want to you know, if you're, if, uh, for us in the room, let's sing loud enough so that we remind everyone at home who God is. For those of you sitting at home, sing along. Remind those sitting next to you who God is. And the second thing is I want you to not let the enemy tell you that, well, that's pointless. 
well, that, I don't really need to. That's strange and it's not even necessary. Listen, the enemy will lie to you. He will tell you that your words will mean nothing. He will tell you that your words will undercut you. If you do what God's calling you to do, you'll lose everything. But if God is as good as he says he is, if God is who he says he is, and he's done what he says that he's done, and we believe that as Christ followers, we don't listen to the enemy anymore. Fear doesn't dictate our decisions. Our decisions are dictated by love. The love that Christ gave to us, we can give to others just from our faithfulness. So today as we sing, let's sing in such a way to encourage one another, to remind each other of who God is, what he's done, and what he continues to do for us. If you need help finding or taking your next step, send us a message at hello at myconnectchurch.com.